Tonight, the biblical role of the deacon. Now, if we're to truly understand the role and the responsibility of the deacons, we must do so not by tradition, okay? Rather by biblical guidance on the office of the deacon. So what I want us to do tonight is I want us to put tradition aside and just take a look at the Word of God, take a look at what the Bible has to say about the role and the responsibility of a deacon. You see, in the modern-day church, East Texas especially, but it's not just confined to East Texas, most of your modern-day churches, and we're talking about Baptist churches, you know, it assumes and sometimes expects that the church be deacon-run rather than pastor-led. And if a church is being deacon-run rather than pastor-led, it is not a New Testament church. It is not a church that's going to bring honor and glory to God. It is a church that is going to have many problems within it. I've got this in your notes. New Testament deacons serve the Lord by conducting the caring ministry of the church, by doing the benevolence work, visiting the sick, being alert to the spiritual needs of the congregation for the purpose of freeing pastoral staff to focus on prayer and the ministry of the Word, also promoting unity within the church and facilitating the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ within the community, within the state, within the world. You see, a New Testament deacon understands that he is there to take a burden off the pastor, not to become a burden to the pastor. And in a deacon-run church, listen, the deacons become a burden to the pastor. They're, they're no longer taking a burden off the pastor. Now, the office of deacon was created for the purpose of handling benevolence ministry within the church. Let's start by looking at Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. You see, the biblical account is quite clear on the founding of deaconship. Now, understand this. What we're going to look at tonight here in Acts chapter 6 and also 1 Timothy chapter 3 is the biblical account on the founding of deaconship and nowhere else in the Word of God, nowhere else in the New Testament does the Scripture repeal the original purpose. So what you're going to see tonight in Acts chapter 6, nowhere in the New Testament does it repeal what was done in the early church. Let's read it. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. And in those days, when the number of disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring among the Grecians. Now let me stop right there. Against the Hebrews. Let me stop right there. When there is murmuring in the church, there is division in the church. And what was taking place here in the early church is a division within the church had begun. And the apostles saw it a big problem. So in order to alleviate the problem, in order to, to, to solve the problem, I want us to see what they done. So a division was being caused. 
because the widows of the Grecians were being neglected in the daily ministration. In other words, you had a group or a fashion of people who were being neglected, and it caused Jabba Jabba, if you please. It caused a division within the church. Now read verse 2. Then, when the apostles saw the division being, take, uh, being caused, when, the, when they saw the murmuring, when they saw that things were beginning to split, then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason. Now understand, up until this point, the, uh, the pastor was doing it all, wasn't he? He was mowing the grass. He was cleaning the church. He was blowing the, the, you know, the spiritual two- and three-year-olds' noses. He was taking care of the food distribution program the church had begun. And they said, it is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, because of, because it is not reason that we need to get away from the Word, because we need to get out of the prayer room, because, brethren, look ye out among you and find seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom you may appoint over, what's that next word? This. What is this making reference to? The benevolence of the church. Not the business of the church. Not the administration of the church. Find you some guys, seven to be specific, he said. Now, that don't mean you have to have seven deacons or you're not a scriptural church. Just the church at that size, that's what they needed. And you find you seven men, he said here, who are of honest report, who are spiritual people, and they have wisdom, who you can appoint over the ministry of benevolence within the church. In other words, the serving of the church. You see, the office of deacon was established to free the apostles who was functioning as the first pastors at that time to prayer and to ministry of the Word. So the apostles, in dealing with the benevolence problem at the church of Jerusalem, told the congregation, guys, it's not desirable, it's not reason that we ought to have to come out of uh, you know, our study in the Word of God. It's not reason that we should have to get off of our knees, get out of our prayer closet, and do the service needs of the church. So to alleviate the problem that was causing division within the church, his instruction to them was, find these guys to take care of this problem. Now some have understood this passage to mean that the role of the deacon is to oversee the business of the church. That is not what this passage is teaching. That's why I had you circle or underline this business, making reference to the service needs of the church. Okay? It's not the business of the church. First, the text says this business, not the business, and the business being referred to is the business of benevolence or service. Second, the word business there, this 
business. The word business is the Greek word krea, and it basically means need. So, what the twelve were suggesting is that certain men be set aside for service need. That's what that's saying. Twelve or seven to be set aside for the service need of the church. In other words, to be servants within the church. And in selecting these men, the apostles laid out some qualifications in the, in the selection of them. Let's take a look at some of this. First of all, deacons were selected for their spiritual qualifications. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and, and Acts chapter 6, they expound on the qualifications for the office of de, uh, deacon. And the latter, Acts chapter 6, contains what could be called the core, uh, core qualifications for that. Look what it says. Men of good reputation, full of the Holy Ghost, and wisdom. Think about that. Men full of, of good reputation, full of the Holy Ghost, and wisdom. Also in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, go ahead and turn there. Chapter 3, verse 8. Paul says there, Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy Luther. You see, I don't know how many times I've seen it, and you've probably seen it too. When someone is discussed for the, as a possibility to be a deacon within the church, we hear such remarks as, well, you know, he attends quite a bit. He's a regular attender. Or we hear, you know, he's, he, he, he's a good giver within the church. But God is looking at men with an internal dynamic. We can't miss that. What these two passages of Scripture are saying, God is looking for men with an internal, uh, internal dynamic which cannot be determined in a superficial way. A, a, a deacon must be a man who is, uh, or a person here who is honest and has good report, and not only within the congregation, but within the community also. And is, he's not a person who is deceitful by saying one thing and meaning another, literally two sayings. That's what it's talking about, him being double-tongued. The literal translation is double or two sayings. In other words, saying one thing to maybe the pastor and another thing to the people. Or saying one thing to this person and another thing to that person. In other words, he's saying you can't be a two-saying person. Now, I'm going to insert this because two people have told me, okay, pastor, you left something out. Two different people, one male, one female, okay, that it goes for the wife. I think there's a scripture that says that. Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 8. I mean, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 11. Paul gives these qualifications for the deacons. And then he says in verse 11, Even so must their wives be grave, not slanders, sober, and faithful in all things. So it's not just the deacon, it's not just the person who is being looked at as a deacon. It is not just the person that the church lays hands on for the deacon. The wife has some qualifications too. So I told the two people that told me that, I'll put it in. <laughs> the reason I didn't initially is because this was directed toward the, the deacons 
you know, that we was looking at uh, as far as, you know, what, what's going to be expected and so on and so forth. So we can't just go by that someone's a good attender or someone's a good giver. Again, don't forget, God is looking at men with an internal dynamic here, and a deacon must be a person who's honest, has a good report within the community, within his congregation. His wife must be the same. They must be able to work together. They can't be double-tongued. They can't be double-tongued and, and with two sayings. In other words, they, they don't need to be busybodies. Okay? I put this in your notes. God looks for a man others speak well of because of his spirit-filled life, which leads to a heart of service. Listen to me. If a deacon is not spirit-filled, if a deacon is, is, is not going to God on a daily basis, seeking God, if, he, if, if, if he's not a spirit-filled person, can I tell you something? He will not have a heart for service. That's just a fact. There's always going to something going to come up that he's going to use for an excuse why he can't do service. And that's why, you know, you know we're told here, you know, that the deacon must be a, a, a spirit-filled person. A man that is not spirit-filled will not take service needs seriously and be consistent in their service to others. Now, the second thing there I got in your notes, deacons are, uh, are to be capable of serving the Lord in spiritual ways. You know, when we look at the original seven deacons, they were people who were able to serve the Lord in ways that were, were more spiritual in nature than merely just delivering food. You know, anybody can deliver food. But these guys had to have a spirit nature about them also. You know, you think of Stephen. He was a man of, full, uh, of spiritual power. In Acts chapter 6, verse 8, it says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. When you take a look at Philip, another one of the seven, he was not only a deacon, but he is also gifted in evangelism. You see, a deacon should be able to teach the Word, lead someone to Christ, and not be ashamed to share their faith. You know, if we had four or five people come forward during an invitation, I should be able to call on any of the deacons and say, would you take this person back there and lead them to Christ? And he'd be able to do that. If he is not able to do that, he's not meeting these qualifications. That's not my opinion, that's the Word of God. So a deacon must be able to lead people to Christ. He needs, he needs to be spirit-filled. He needs to be able to fill in and teach a Sunday school class if need be, you know, if there's a teacher out. He should be able to teach others. Deacons need to be men that others look up to because of their spiritual example they are sitting within the church. I'm going to say that again. I'll put that in your notes. Deacons need to be men that others look up to because of not their popularity, not because they attend a lot, not because they give a lot. Deacons need to be men others look up to because of the spiritual example they sit within the church. Now, the third thing, the office of deacon requires a firm grasp on solid, uh, uh, sound doctrine. Look at this. We need to understand that a church is content-oriented, Okay? It is a doctrinally driven community. We are driven by biblical doctrine. 
Okay? And it's built upon truth. Now, every member should have this approach in the fellowship, but deacons even more so. Deacons should have a firm grasp on, on biblical doctrine, and, and, and they must put more stock on, on the scriptural, biblical doctrine than they do man-made doctrine. Because let me, let me just say this, and I'm a Baptist to the core. I was saved Baptist. I was baptized Baptist. I was uh, licensed Baptist. I was ordained Baptist. I'm going to die Baptist. You know, Peter will meet me at the gate and say, Welcome, Baptist Gene. So I'm Baptist. But there's, there, there's sometimes that biblical doctrine and man-made Baptist things, they don't always jive. There's not many, but there's a few. And if that's the case, when that happens, what are we to go with? We're to go with this. And a deacon ought to be spiritual enough to see the difference in biblical doctrine and man-made doctrine. And, and if they don't jive, if they don't come together, the bottom line to any situation that should arise should be the Scripture and not tradition of man. Now, the fourth thing here is the deacon should, be, uh, should advance the unity within the church. You see, when the apostles laid out the creation of this office, and again, what was the purpose? Why did they lay out the creation of this office? Because there was division. You can't miss this. There was division started within the church. Up until that time, there was unity. But because some needs were being neglected, a division started. The saying pleased the whole multitude, it said. In other words, when they, uh, when they set these seven guys aside and they started doing the service needs, the saying pleased the people. In other words, unity returned to the fellowship. So that's why I say there, the deacon should advance unity within the church. The complaints about the benevolence ministry stopped, and it's still true today, if the deacons are doing their job and fulfilling their role, the result of them doing their job, the result of them fulfilling their role, will be unity within the church and not discord. That's why I put in your notes there. Whenever a church has deacons who are properly doing their job, the church is more likely to be in unity. You show me a church that has no unity, and I'll show you a church where the deacons are not doing their job. Because, again, they're there to advance unity. They're there to, to, to if any division starts, to cut it off and bring a unity back within the church. A spirit-filled deacon will seek to disarm disgruntled members in order to preserve unity within the church. They're going to they're disarm it, not create it or not add to it. And that's why I put this bolded in, in your notes there. Listen, deacons cannot allow themselves to become the mouthpiece for disgruntled members. And in a deacon-run church, that is exactly what happens. They become the mouthpiece to the pastor for disgruntled members. And if you don't watch it, you will find yourself being the spokesperson for disgruntled members. And if it's not handled properly, you will be the one. It ends up 
being or making of being looked like that you are the one who is having problems with the pastor, not the one who came to you to begin with. Because let me tell you something. I've been in this for only 25 years. You've been in it a little bit longer than that. Brother Troy has been in it a little longer than that. Brother Gerald's been in it a longer than that. But let me tell you what I have learned in 25 years. A disgruntled member, they, 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 they'll leave you hanging. When push comes to shove, they're going to crawfish. And you're going to be left out there hanging. And it's going to look like you are the one. We're talking about the deacons here. Because, look, they will not stand up for what they truly believe in. A disgruntled member will not. They just will not do it. Let me give you an example of how it works. Here's an example of how it works. And I've seen this. A member comes to you complaining about something in the church, okay? We're talking about a deacon here. A member comes to the deacon. They complain about something that, that, that's happening within the church. Maybe it's the pastor. Maybe it's that goofy music the music minister's picking out nowadays. Nobody's done that, baby. Uh, maybe it's Sunday school. But you know what? Usually it's the pastor. Usually, it's the pastor. Now, if you do not arm it, uh, disarm it right then, in other words, when they come to you and they're complaining about the pastor, if you at that very moment do not disarm it, then what they do is they go to another person and they say to them, I told brother so-and-so, and you know what? He agrees with me. Now, why do they tell the other person you agreed with them? Because you did not disagree with them. I'm telling you the mind, how the mind of a disgruntled person works. Because you did not disagree, you agreed. Now, the person that they go to and say, yeah, even brother so-and-so agreed with me. Now, that person goes to someone else, and, and of course, they share a prayer request. We do understand that. Okay, they go to someone else, and here's what they say. Even the deacons, did you hear the plural? Even the deacons agree. Now, how did the whole deacon uh, people, I mean, how did every deacon get involved in this? Because the one did not disarm it right up front. So it has to be disarmed. How do we do this? You know, cause, let me tell you something. It goes downhill from there. So how should you handle, how should a deacon handle it when somebody comes to them complaining? I've got this in your notes. First of all, tell them they need to go to the person whom they have the problem with and uh, tell them because you do not feel that way. Okay, let me say that again. You tell them, look, you need to go. I'm, I'm just going to use pastor for an example here. You need to go to pastor and you need to share that with him because I don't, I don't see that. I don't see that. Now, what have you done at that moment? You dis disarmed it. You disarmed it. However, if you say, well, yeah, you know, I, I, I see your point, but you haven't disarmed it. Now, second of all, here's the next thing. If they do not want to go and tell them uh, then tell them that you'll go with them 
and help them pass their feelings on to the person. But if they don't want to go with you, then you will go, but you will not withhold their name from the pastor or the music minister or whoever it might be. Now, let me say that again. Let me just read what I've got there for you. If they do not want to go, then tell them you'll go with them or that you'll pass their feelings on to that person, but you'll not withhold the, their name uh, as the person that you're speaking for. In other words, I'm going to go, I'll share this, but I'm going to tell who it is that is feeling this way. And if they don't want you to use their name, that's as far as the conversation should go. Because if they're, very, if they're really serious about what they're disgruntled about, they don't care if you use their name. You see what I'm saying? But if they say, no, would you just go tell him there's people upset about this? No. If I can't tell him you're the one upset, and if there's more than you, give me the other name, and I'll gladly go. Because here's the thing. If a person is truly upset... They will not mind their name being spoken and they will not mind coming in themselves and sharing their feelings. Because again, if you don't watch it, you're going to become a mouthpiece for them. And you cannot do that as a deacon. You cannot do that. Third thing is this. If what they have to share with you, you feel is legit. In other words, they're sharing that with you and you don't want to, you, you don't want to give them no ammunition. But you say unto yourself, you know, I kind of agree with this. Okay? Then what do you do? If you feel what they have to say is legit, and you feel the same way too, don't tell them you feel the same way, because again, that opens the door for them to go around and tell everyone how you agreed with them. You come to me and tell me the person who shared this with you and that you feel the same way, and then here's what I told the deacons. Then you give me two or three solutions how we can solve the problem. Don't come to me and say, hey, we got a problem here and I agree with this person, you know, or I agree with this group, I agree with these people. You know, we've got a problem, you need to solve it. Well, if I could solve it, we wouldn't have the problem to begin with, would we? So give me some solutions. Give me two or three solutions how to solve this thing. Because again, let me say this. If you come to me as a deacon and you don't want to give me a name, I'm going to tell you this is as far as our conversation goes, okay? And if you as a person tells a deacon, would you go tell pastor, you know, there's people feels this way, okay? And you tell him not to use your name. If he comes to me, it won't go no further. I don't mean to sound mean. I don't mean to sound rude. I don't mean to sound ugly. But I know how things work. Again, deacons cannot allow themselves to become the mouthpiece for disgruntled members. The next thing is this. The word deacon is translated servant. You can't miss that. The title itself is as, uh, as descriptive as any job description could be. You see, in the Bible, words have meanings, and the word deacon means servant. And here's how the word has been defined in its various forms. I've got them in here for you. You know, the, the, the first thing here, diakino, uh, it, 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 and it derives, or its derivatives are used mainly for personal help to others. Another Greek word that is used actually 34 times in the New Testament, uh, di, uh, diakonia, 
And it means service at tables. And another Greek word that is used 29 times in the New Testament, and its primary meaning is for one who serves tables, diakikios. And it means one who serves tables. So no matter what, you know, way it is used, in every instant it always means servant or to serve, never to lead, never to rule. So no matter how you use it, the word deacon will always mean servant and never, excuse me, and never leader. So, how do you know when a church is using deacons in an unscriptural manner? Many churches have strayed away from the biblical design for the office of deacon, and because of that, it's brought many trials and sufferings upon the church. Listen, you will never find, and I've heard this in so many Baptist churches, deacon board. You will never find the concept of a deacon board taught in the New Testament. You can search all you want. You'll never find that concept. You see, the, the very term board means to govern or rule. And, and that is as far from the biblical design of an office of deacon as you can ever get. So how does a church know if they're using deacons in an unscriptural manner? Let me give you three evidences that deacons are operating under the concept of a board thereby being an unscriptural church. First of all, when all the major recommendations from church operations and church committees are screened by the deacons whether they should go before the congregation. In other words, when let's just say the uh, Building and Grounds Committee, Jerry kind of heads that up, okay? Let's just say the Building and Grounds Committee says, you know, we, we, we need some lawnmower blades for the lawnmower. We sharpen these about as much as we can. You know, let's bring it to a business meeting. Well, if everything has to be run through the deacon before it can even be brought up at a business meeting, that's a deacon-run church. And it's unscriptural. Second thing is when the pastor and staff members are directly responsible to the deacons rather than the church as a whole. In other words, I've been called in before, not at this church. I've been called in before by a couple of deacons telling me never to, again to preach on premarital sex. Is that scriptural for the deacons to call the pastor in and tell him not to preach on premarital sex? No, and it wasn't a scriptural church. It was a deacon-run church. So any time the pastor and the staff are directly responsible to the deacons, rather than the church, then it's an unscriptural church. Some people say, well, the deacons are there to, to rein the pastor in or keep him corralled or make sure he doesn't get out of line. Show me in the scripture. That is not their job. I was asked, well, who do you answer to? First of all, I answer to God, ultimately. Second of all, I answer to the church. As a whole, not a group called deacons or any other group within the church. Thirdly, when the use, of it, when the use or expenditure of major church resources such as facilities 
in finances must be approved by the deacons. In other words, if somebody calls up the church and says, Pastor, can we hold our wedding there? Okay? We've already got a set of wedding guidelines, all right, that the church has adopted. Well, if I have to say, well, let me get with the deacons and see, then it's a deacon-run church. You see, the church has already established a set of wedding guidelines. Okay, and as long as what I tell them they do within those guidelines, then I don't have to go to the deacons. Does that make sense? But if everything a church does, every major resource, such as the facilities and the finances, have to be approved by the deacons, then it's a deacon-run church. Therefore, it's an unscriptural church. In his book, The Baptist Deacon, Robert Naylor says this. Anybody ever read Robert Naylor's The Baptist Deacon? Us preachers that want some ammunition. Yeah, there you go. Uh, look, look what Robert Naylor says. This is a fantastic book. If you hadn't read it and you're a deacon, you need to get it and read it. The ch there are churches where deacons have appropriated the, uh, to themselves authority which is contrary to New Testament teaching. It may have gone so far that bossism has developed. In other words, they think they're the bosses of the church. Okay? There is a board complex and a general feeling that deacons are, di are directors of the church. Here's what Naylor says. Nothing could be farther from the Baptist gen uh, genus or the New Testament plan. Anywhere this condition exists, there inevitably are those who say that deacons are not needed. The truth is, that such, such deacons as this are not needed within the church. Making reference to those deacons he just talked about who uh, become directors or want to have a church board or, or whatever. Now, let me just conclude with this. What is the role of the deacons in the church? At this point, okay, again, this is a tough message for the pastor to preach. You usually pay somebody to come in and preach this and then say, wow. I didn't know he was going to say that. Weenie pastors do that. Here's the bottom line. At this point, tradition may create a problem for some churches. We may have grown up with the idea that the pastor and the staff are called to minister and the deacons were elected to do the administration in the church. We may have been taught that. We may have been brought up that all our life. And this has led many churches to, to, to refer to the deacons as a board and look to them for all administrative decisions. What we have done, when we've done it that way, we've actually reversed the biblical order, and it has adversely affected many, many churches. What is the biblical role of the deacon and how does a church organize itself to allow the deacons to accomplish their God-given ministry? I want to give you a closing thought. I think I put this in your notes too. I believe that the Acts model and the qualifications listed in 1 Timothy 3 indicate the primary role is ministry. The primary role of deacons is ministry such as visiting the shut-ins and caring for church families. The ministry to the widows did require that the deacons have some administrative ability since they was to oversee the food distribution program. 
but not over the entire church. Churches grow and deacon, the deacon ministry flourishes when deacons assume their biblical role as partners with the pastor in ministering to the congregation. That's the way I see it. That's the way I feel, based upon the Scripture. After I taught this to the deacons, I went over what would be, should be expected if they chose to serve as a deacon. First of all, you'll help in any way you can to take a load off the pastor and staff. In other words, you'll be there to help take a load off. For instance, Brother Glenn DeMar having surgery, I can't be there, take that load off of me, okay? Someone will step up and do that. Second of all, you'll seek to extinguish problems that may arise in the church rather than starting them or helping them to spread. Again, the deacon's job is to bring unity within the body, not division. Thirdly, I asked our deacons to participate in the deacon family ministry plan and to make at least two visits a month in the homes. No phone calls. I mean, you can call, but I've asked them to make two visits a month, okay, to those that's going to be on their deacon family ministry or list. In other words, what we're going to do if you elect these two tonight, it'll give us seven that are going to serve as deacons, okay? We got 50, 51 families active within the church. You split that up between seven guys, you're only looking at, what, seven families per person, roughly? So if a deacon has seven families, and he's only asked to make two visits a month, that's 30 days. I don't think it's asking too much. Just to meet with you, pray with you, see if you have a need. Okay? So that's what I've asked the, our deacons to do. We're going we're gonna to really get serious about our deacon family ministry plan. Make two visits a month in the homes of those that's on your deacon list. Fourthly, on the first of the month that they're going to turn in a list to me. I've got, I've got a form for them. And they're going to turn in a list of those that they visited that previous month and a short response of their visit with you. Now, I'm telling you this because, you know, when you get assigned your deacon, and by the way, if there's a certain deacon you want, let me know. If there's a certain one you don't want, let me know. Okay? But what I want them to do is fill out this form and, and, and list the two that they visited and also make a note of, you know, basically what, their visit consisted of. And if you had a need, if it was a need they could meet at that moment, jot it down. If it's a need that needs to be met, jot it down. And when I get your report each month, their report, then we'll know and we can better serve our people. That was number four, wasn't it? Okay, also on number four, also note if there may be a need, especially for our widows and shut-ins. We got a number of widows and shut-ins that are being neglected. And we got to stop that. Finally, on top of the two visits a month, visit those on your list who are in the hospital. I will call you. If someone on your list is, on the is in the hospital, I'll call the deacon and say, hey, 
Brother Glenn's in the hospital, you know. Don't wait three or four days because by then most people are out of the hospital. And don't say, oh, man, I missed them. I went up there. Don't make a note on your thing a week later, okay? Try to go see them as quick as possible. Remember, a New Testament deacon understands he's there to take a burden off the pastor, not to become a burden to the pastor. Now, I shared that with the congregation tonight because I want to know, I, I wanted you to know what it was I went over with the deacons so that we would all be on the same page. So that you would know you're going to have a deacon that is going to be there for you, who is going to minister to you. You have a service need. They're going to be there to try to do it as best they can. Okay? And what we can't have happen, and I stress this to the deacons, that you know four or five of them do their job right, one or two don't, then what, what do you have happening if that's the case? If four or five are doing their job right and two or three are not doing their job right, you have the same problem the church in Acts had. Needs were being neglected. And that's going to cause division. Okay?